coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, this is the fucking pilot back in the booth for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. We're using the magic of the internet this time to talk to a, another extremely knowledgeable air sports individual that's been around, well, shit, just as long as I have, if not longer. Uh, so tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? How's it going, Dean? My name is Albert Birchtold. I think we've met quite a few times. Once or twice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool to be here with you today. We have uh, we have definitely shared some of the same stomping grounds. As a matter of fact, I think you and I met for the first time way back in '03 or '04 in Cross Keys. Yeah. Yep. I was uh, I hung my hat in Cross Keys for for probably about five or six years hmm. uh, when I was a younger skydiver. Had a really good time there. It was the the heyday of that drop zone. It was a pretty busy, crazy place at the time. So God, wasn't people it? still talk about what that place was like back then and the late 90s early 2000s so it was a good time oh yeah man it's 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 funny because uh, the more people i talk to from those days in cross keys every single one of them says the same thing man those were some of the greatest days i ever had in skydiving <laughs> they were yeah for sure and I, I make it up there every once in a while like i was up there last year for their fourth of july boogie which uh the drop zones come come back around quite a bit and, yep. uh, I mean, it went through a pretty slow period there in the, in the, uh, um, within the last few years. And then recently it's, it's got new ownership. They're under new ownership and they've started to bring it back. Like I was up there last year for 4th of July and you could start to see some of the old vibe, you know, a fun drop zone, That's you know, fun super jumpers cool. out there doing stuff. So it was really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, and I was uh, lucky enough or unfortunate, depending on which way you look at it, I left um, just as the heyday was starting to taper off. So all my memories were still of the wild and crazy days um, that yeah. were too much fun. But let's back it up a little bit. Uh, you, you've been into skydiving for a whole long time. How'd you, how'd you get started off in the sport? Did you do any other extreme sports before? You know, how, how'd, you, how'd you kick it all off? Well, I um I started jumping right as I got out of uh, out of college. I started in 1998, hmm. and I had, uh, I graduated college in the. I actually finished college in December. Got a job in the in the spring, and I started traveling. I got a job as as a actually a compliance auditor. I went to school to be an accountant. Oh God! <laughs> and. Uh, over the summer, I was my first job was a compliance auditor, and I was traveling. So uh, I went on assignment f- for three months in the middle of the summer of 1998, and I spent it in uh, in Ohio, and I was training with a senior auditor there. And I had uh, they would fly me home once one weekend a month, and the other three weekends I was wherever my assignment was sure. as a new auditor, and. Uh, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to explore this great United States. What's near here? And I was, you know, by the time I got to August, I was pretty bored. And I said, <laughs> well, let me, let me try skydiving. You know, I had, um, was just, I, for the first time in my life, I had disposable income, you know, sure. <laughs> sure. I got out of school. I didn't have bills. I had a job that paid money and, uh, you know, they covered a lot of my expenses for traveling, which was really cool. So I had, I had money in my pocket, which I was, which was something totally new to me. Sure. So I said, let's go try this, you know, and I, I went to a local drop zone. I went to Air Ohio. Okay. Uh, which was pretty busy DZ around that time. And, uh, I went and did, I never did a tandem, went straight in, did AFF, went and did ground school. Really? How come uh, you, how come you decided to go straight to AFF? I mean, did you know enough about it or, or it, they just didn't push the tandem? Well, they did, they did tandem there, but I think, you know, around that time in that area, it was pretty much kind of an even split. Some people would show up and they'd do a tandem. Some people would show up and just go straight into AFF. And, nice. And the way nowadays when you show up and it's kind of like, okay, you do your tandem. Okay, you do your tandem. Sure. Back then you showed up and it was like, okay, would you like to do a tandem or would you like to do an eight-hour ground school and then jump by yourself? Sure, sure. You know, it, was, it was almost like you were given a choice. Sure an equal choice at either option. And I've said, wow, I, you know, I got, I got all, I got all weekend. Let's go sit in the classroom and learn how to do this by myself. <laughs> you were a board compliance officer. <laughs> he wanted to take as much time as it took. Yeah. 
and uh, it was it was it was cool. So I went through all of AFF there, and then no sooner did I finish AFF, but I got switched. I got moved to a new assignment. I got transferred to somewhere else. <laughs> so I went I went somewhere. I was actually went from Ohio. I went over to uh, Delaware, and uh, I was in Lower Delaware for a little while, and I found Delmarva. Okay. And I didn't have any gear. And I, I didn't have a license. All I had was a logbook. I had finished AFF and I showed up at the DZ and they said, you know, I said, I'm here to make a skydive. And they go, okay, well, you know, do you have a license? And I said, no, I don't have a license. No, do you have gear? No, I don't have any gear. And they said, well, <laughs> you know, the waggly finger came out. You're going to have to jump with one of our coaches. And we're going to have to rent you some gear. And I was young and excited. And I said, like, that's great. You know, sure. Not only are you going to let me skydive here, but you're going to give me a really experienced person to go jump with me. Sure. And maybe teach me some more. And uh, and that was great. I was like, cool, let's go. Let's go do it, you know. And I went and did a jump. And I went with one of the coaches. And they're like, we come down and they go, you're good. You can, you can, Scott, you can do some solos, you know. So I went up and I, I did a few solos. And I spent maybe two weeks or three weeks there at most. And. And then I got transferred to another assignment somewhere else. Oh, man. And before I had 50 jumps, I had probably been to half a dozen drop zones. <laughs> See, but that's kind of cool, really, when you think about it. I mean, fuck, I probably had 500 jumps before I was regularly going to different drop zones. Yeah, pretty different than what a lot of people do who maybe spend you know, their first 500 jumps at one place. Yeah. But it taught me I had to learn to, I had to, learn to take care of myself. You know, I had to learn, you know... I have to take responsibility for what this landing area looks like. I have to take responsibility for making sure I understand the rental gear I'm getting. Sure. You know, you know this skydiving safety is my responsibility. Nobody's going to take that upon and nobody's going to take that up for me. There's nobody who has me under their wing. Sure. I mean, obviously when I went somewhere, the people were very caring and obviously took care to make sure I didn't make stupid mistakes. And they probably did more than, than I ever knew at that time. But sure. Uh, I took that responsibility very uh, – uh, I took it to heart you know, to make well, sure I was being the safest person I could be. Well, and back then too, it wasn't that uh, um, people weren't caring and, and didn't try and do a good job. It's the, But the, the training was not to the level to any degree that it is now. And the knowledge, you know, I mean in, in modern equipment and, and how to work with people is, has expanded so much since you and I started. So it's uh, a, a kind of rare to be the one that actually, especially at low jump numbers like that, took the initiative. So that's very cool. Yeah, and then uh, eventually I settled down in uh, in New York. Okay. Uh, and I took a job with one of our clients there, and uh, I lived in Manhattan for a while, and uh, that was pretty awesome. Sure. I traveled to. That's when I set up. You know, Cross Keys is basically my home. I parked my car outside the city, and every Friday I'd, I'd take the train out of the city. I'd hop in the car, I'd shoot down the turnpike. And I'd spend my weekends at the drop zone, sure. Cross Keys. Oh, what and we had an old family trailer. Um, we had an old travel trailer that actually belonged to my folks when I was a baby. <laughs> uh, and they're like, it was it was old and decrepit, and it was in the backyard. And uh, they're like, you want it? Here you go. And I, so I towed the thing from. Uh, it was in Delaware at the time. Sure. And I towed it, and the thing, pff, man, I don't even know how it made it even the hour and a half trip to the drop zone because it was like falling <laughs> apart. Oh man. Well now uh, were, were any other family members, uh, skydivers or were you the first? I was the first. Yeah. And actually I, um, I grew up in Vineland, New Jersey, which is about 30 minutes from cross keys. And I never knew there was actually an airport or drop zone there. We were never really into air sports. Sure. That's funny. Um, closest. Yeah, the closest thing to, um, I mean, to, to sporting. We were pretty athletic myself, and I have a sister who's five years older than me. And, you know, I was a swimmer in high school. She was a swimmer. She played soccer. We both rode uh, bicycles. She raced quite a bit. Mm. And uh, so we were pretty active through, through our younger years, but never Wait. really, like, I wouldn't say extreme sport enthusiasts. Oh, fair enough. Uh, I, that was the same for me. I was born and raised uh, in uh, the Bay Area. 
uh, Sacramento specifically, and uh, okay. Skydance in Davis, you know, was, has been there since I was just a kid, and I had no clue it was there until I left Cross Keys and went back home and was like, all right, I, <laughs> I need a drop zone to work at, and found out, holy shit, there's one in my backyard. Yeah. It, funny yeah. as that. So you end up in it's Cross like Keys. Oh, totally, and you never knew it was there. But you yeah. end up you end up in Cross Keys. You got the the broken down old trailer, which is probably still there with somebody living in it. I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, you know they actually um, when uh, when they changed ownership, the the new owners ended up getting into a thing with the city, and a lot of the trailers that were there were had been there quite a bit, and they ended up having to, they ended up pulling all of them out. Oh, back so, like uh, like the maxi pad across the parking lot. Yeah, that stuff's all gone now. Oh wow, man! A lot of yeah. crazy memories from from those days. Oh, I mean, it was a small city. It was a small city in the woods, you know. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of memories. Well, I have a lot of faded memories of <laughs> of that <laughs> stuff. Oh, yeah, so I mean, I lived in I lived in that trailer right behind you for a little. My trailer was parked right behind that one you were living in across the parking lot for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I uh, I got busted out by John because I was squatting in that thing, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had my uh, my 17 foot pop up trailer that I'd driven out from Nevada uh, and ended up parked next to that big old gray one that John had that was empty and it was beautiful and yeah. it had air conditioner, it had a big bed and all this stuff and nobody was in it. So I thought, well, fuck. All right, I'm gonna move in there, and I got away with it for a long time until John O'Gordon and Stephen Jackson decided to set the stairs on fire when uh, John Eddowes. <laughs> I remember that. You remember that? They set yeah. the goddamn stairs on fire, and John Eddowes is like, "Well, who's in there?" And then I come walking out the door, and Eddowes is like, "You're gonna need to talk to me tomorrow." <laughs> Like motherfucker. Yeah. Yep, I got busted out because they set the stairs of the trailer on fire. Oh. So what uh, what year would it have been that you started out in Cross Keys? Probably around 2000, 2001, maybe. Okay, so you were there a few years uh, before me, for sure. Yeah, I guess so. I don't remember exactly when in, when you got there. Uh, it was around the same time. Yeah, 2003, 2004 was the beginnings for me, right around the same time yeah. as, as uh, Paul Rafferty um, was, was, gotcha. my, was my time frame. Yeah. Uh, so that was right around when I went full time there. So yeah, how'd that spent, come about? I spent a couple years. I spent probably three, three years or so living in the city, living in New York, and you know, it got to the point where all week all I did was uh, dream about the the weekend to go skydiving, and all I did all weekend while I was skydiving was dread going back to work on Monday. <laughs> So eventually I just said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I, I, I walked in one day and I, I just quit my job. Oh. I quit the job I had in New York, you know, really good paying job. And I just said, Hey, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I packed up, I got rid of my apartment in the city and I, I moved into the, I moved into my trailer and what I did was the, one of the weekend warriors at the DZ. What did the family think of that? Well, you know, they're, they're pretty, you know, my family's pretty awesome. They're, they're accepting of what I want to do. You know, my, they, my dad always kind of, you know, he's a very structured person and he likes the idea of, you know, having a job and a path and sure career and, and the idea that you just throw something away and go live in a trailer. He, you know, <laughs> it, they're loving parents, you know, they're never going to, they're never going to disown me over anything I do. Even the whole idea of skydiving at first, they're like, you want to do what? Sure. That's crazy. You know, sure. but, you know, they give me a big hug and they're, they're loving parents, you know, and if I can, you know, I hate to say I can do no wrong, but you know, no matter what I do, they're going to love me. So um, what do you think it was? Um, cause obviously it's not just the activity of jumping out of airplanes. Why such the draw towards skydiving? Was it, uh, uh, the, the fun of the sport itself? Was it the community? Was it a combination of, or. I think it was a little bit of everything, you know, that's where, you know, that's where, that's where most of my really good friends were, I think. And it was a place I could go and, and have fun. Mm. You know, it was a good time. It was like a whole different subculture community of people. You know, I had the people I knew in the city and that I worked with and that I hung out with and that I went to bars with and went to clubs with and things like that. And then there was this, like, it was like another, it was like an alternate universe that I lived in. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
and there were people living in that alternate universe, right? And I was just stopping in every once in a while. I was stopping in every Friday through Sunday. Sure, just being a tourist. And then I left. I was being a tourist. And then I went back to my other world. I was being the, the weekend warrior, you know? And eventually, I just decided I didn't want to go back to the other world. I mm. wanted to stay in this alternate universe that was there. <laughs> and I wanted to live there, you know? Oh, and so it, I did. It was such a crazy time in Cross Keys, too. I mean, I I don't think there's any way to, to accurately describe what it was like to live on that drop zone during the season. We were seven days a week, 24 hours a day together. As a, as a It was more of a commune than it was a drop zone. It was. It was like a big family. It really was. Yeah. A dysfunctional yeah. as fucking hell, but it was a big family for sure. Yeah, and it had all the all the little things that went along with it. You know, this person's arguing with this person, this this person's sleeping with that guy, and this guy's <laughs> sleeping with that girl, and that's his girlfriend. And can you believe what happened last night with those two? And oh I god, mean, it was like a, it was a bit of a soap opera sometimes. It was. You know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I wish to fucking hell someone had had the forethought to make a reality TV show out of that drop zone for those years. Could you imagine? Oh my god. <laughs> With the insanity that went on in Cross Keys for those years, had there been cameras around? Oh, oh man! Probably would have been even probably would have been even worse if you stuck a camera in front of anybody. It would have <laughs> absolutely. They weren't even they weren't even turned on, and that's what was going on. Like, imagine if you stuck a camera in front of them and asked them to asked them to ham it up. It would have gotten way crazier. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, uh, you may have heard when I sat down and talked to to Norman, Mr. Mark Norman, and we. Uh, we reminisced a little bit about the cross keys days and the, the Cusky era and, and uh, all the yeah. craziness that was going on and the, the PST tour down in Wildwood. And, oh, my God, the stories yeah. are literally endless. I could make an entire podcast just out of cross keys. Yeah, for sure. There was, I mean, did all kinds of the stuff with Monkey Claw back when they were really big. And a lot of those guys, have, you know, Bert's gotten back in. Now he's got his kids into, into flying in the tunnel and stuff. And I, I see him and talk to him every once in a while. I mean, he took quite a few years off, but he's back into it again. It's amazing. He's jumping again. Yeah. So you, uh, you ended up at, uh, at Cross Keys full-time. Um, how'd you start working in the sport? Well, I, um, when, I, when I quit my job in the city and I, I was, you know, Monday rolled around and I, was, uh, I didn't go back to the, to the office. I didn't go back to New York and I was at the drop zone and I got up and I was sitting on the couch and uh, I was watching TV in the middle of the hangar. Yeah. Sitting there. People who were, you know, the everyday staff, the people that lived in, in at the drop zone were like, hey, Albert, what are you doing here? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just hanging out another day. Just, I'm sitting on the couch. And I didn't really tell anybody I quit. And then Tuesday rolled around. I'm still there. <laughs> Walk in. I'm sitting on the couch. And all the instructors come out and they start doing their job and, and working. And I'm sitting on the couch watching TV. They go, oh, you're still here. And I think by Wednesday, somebody came up to me and they go, Oh, what are you still doing here? <laughs> you know, somebody started, somebody, I don't remember who it was, but somebody called and they're like, what's going on with you, man? And, uh, cause I, my tone had obviously changed a bit. You know? Sure. And they're like, are you, do you still, you know, what, what's going on? I was like, so do you still have your job or did you quit? I was like, yeah, <laughs> it was like an, it was like something out of the, out of one of those movies. Cause they're like, do you still work here? And I'm like, <laughs> You still have a job? I was like, no, I just decided I'm not going to go anymore. Yep. Yeah, it was like straight out of office space. Like, Which is awesome. I'm just, I'm just not going to go anymore. I yeah. just decided I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> and they're like, and then you see like these smirks and smiles start coming out of people going, all right, well, we, we see what you're up to, you know? Yep. Welcome to the club. And then uh, welcome to the club, you know, welcome to the, welcome to the alternate universe. <laughs> and uh, Mary Farwell came up to me after after a few days mary farwell came up to me and she was running the gear store sure. there which was it was square three at the time you yeah. know um part of the square family square one square two out in eloy and square three was in cross keys and uh that shop is no longer there at this point but she was running the, running that shop and uh she came over and she said hey i'm gonna be i'm gonna have to take some personal time out of the store and I need somebody to help out and run the store with, you know, be kind of an assistant manager type thing. Somebody who I can, who can run the register, somebody who can measure people for gear. Sure. Somebody who I can trust to, you know, 
be able to count the register at the end of the day and lock the place up. And, uh, you know, are you interested? And, and I said, yeah, you know, that sounds like, sounds like something cool to do. You know, sure. I've got the accounting background. I can count the register. I'm, I'm trustworthy. I can, I can help out with that. You know, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. And she said, okay, come on by and fill out an application. It's a, you know, we got to have you do an, an application and all this stuff and paperwork. And so I went in, I filled it all out. For me, it wasn't necessarily a career move at the time. It was just something to do to pass the time while I was at the DZ. Sure. And, uh, she came back the next day and I was sitting on the couch again, watching you know, the prices, right? I love watching the prices, right? <laughs> so 11 o'clock when I rolled out of bed and I got up to watch the prices, right? And, uh, she came over and said, Hey Albert, you know, I'm, um, she sat down with me and she said, I'm, I'm really sorry. She said, I can't hire you. And I said, why not, Mary? What's, you know, what's wrong? Like, I mean, I don't have any outstanding records. Like, I don't think I would have failed a background check or anything. Right. She said, well, you know, I, we looked at your, you know, cause you filled, I filled out my job history and all that stuff. And she goes, well, I can't really, you know, I was coming from a job in Manhattan, a high paying job in Manhattan. She goes, well, I can't really offer you a, job or a salary that wouldn't be offensive. <laughs> I said, I said, Mary, it's, you know, I said, honestly, like, I'm not looking for you to pay me what I was making when I lived and worked in Manhattan. Sure. Um, I, I get that this is not going to be a comparable salary to that, you know, but I want to, I want to get involved. I want to be involved. I want something to, you know, something to pass some time during the day while I, figure out what I want to do next with my life. And mm. at that time I was, I wanted to kind of start my own business. So I was researching like potential businesses and maybe, maybe buying into a franchise or something like that. Sure. And I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Mary. What do you want to pay? And she told me, and I said, that sounds great. You know, give me 50 cents more an hour than that. And, and we're good. You know, she goes, okay. So I started working there and I learned everything about gear. Mm. You know, I learned I learned about rigs. I learned how to measure. I met all the people in the industry mm. um, because I was not only dealing with the customer customers who were coming in who needed to rent gear or tandem students that were buying T-shirts, but I met all the people in the industry because it got to the point where I was actually communicating with the manufacturers, helping with rig orders and canopy orders and all that stuff. Sure. And uh, I spent, I think, just shy of two years in that store with her. Um, and it was great. It was a good time. You know, I enjoyed spending my time at the DZ, got to skydive quite a bit during the weekdays and stuff. I was obviously busy on the weekend sure. uh, in the shop, but I got to jump during the week and, and she was a, she was an awesome person to work for. And, and she was very flexible with, you know, letting me out of the store here and there to go make a skydive. She, she got it. You know, she was a jumper, of course. So, Absolutely. You know, she knows you can't, you can't pin somebody in the store all day long, but well, uh, after about two Go ahead, go ahead. After about two years there, um, the folks from PD gave me a call. They had been up at the drop zone and they, they were they did the tour stuff and they had been up there and I met I met Cola and Isaiah yeah. uh, when they were up at Cross Keys for a tour stop. And they called me up one winter and said, Hey, we're looking for somebody to do a contract tour over the summer. You know, that was two thousand six. Okay. The company PD was going to run three tours. They were going to have one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, and then Isaiah was going to handle all the big events and fly out of Florida for that. So it was a big year for PD doing tour stuff. And they said, we want to hire you for, you know, I think it was like five-month contract job to tour around the Northeast United States. Wow. Because I knew all the drop zones up there. Sure. I had traveled – like when I was young, I traveled to a lot of them, right? I'd been to the ranch. I had been to – Cross Keys, I've been to Delmarva, I've been to Orange. Like I, my work, my previous two jobs previous and my traveling had brought me to all those DZs sure. when I had less than 50 skydives. So I kind of knew where they all were. And they said, well, we want to hire you to do this. And I said, well, that sounds really cool, you know. Um, well, what happens after five months when the summer's over? They go, well, you know, that's the job. It's it's a five-month job. You're that's That's it. Right. I said, so you want me to leave what I'm doing now to do a five-month gig with you, <laughs> and then I'm basically, I have nothing, right? I've got no plan at that point. 
And Isaiah said, yep, that's what we're asking for. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, if another job, if you're doing a good job and some other opportunity arises in the next five months for a, maybe a full-time position, then, then, you know, if you're doing a good job, maybe we could, maybe that would be a fit, hmm. but no guarantees. Sure. And I said, well, I was at a point in my life where I'd clearly been jumping out of um, secure jobs and into the abyss of unknown. <laughs> so I did it again. You know, and I, I let Mary know. I said, hey, you know, I had a wonderful time here, and but I'm going to try something new out. Sure. You know? And I did. And I, um, I ended up spending that summer of 06 traveling around in a, in a class A RV to all the drop zones in the, in the Northeast, like based out of based out of cross keys during the week I lived in cross keys. And then every weekend I went to a different drop zone with, you know, 40 canopies sure. in the RV. And I learned about, I learned so much that summer about, about skydiving and about parachutes. And I went to, I actually went to PD for two weeks for training uh, where I learned all about the company and all about the, the products and sure. the services that PD offers. And then they shipped me out on the road and it was a trial by fire. Oh, I bet. I mean, come on, that's uh, uh, thrown into the deep end just going to one new drop zone, let alone making a business out of going to new drop zones. I mean, holy shit. So about two months into that tour, I got a phone call from Isaiah and from his boss, who was Rob, uh, Rob at the time, who was the marketing manager. And they said, well, we got good news. You're doing a great job on the road. We're getting wonderful feedback from all the drop zones you're going to and the people you're interacting with. And we've got a full-time job available that we'd like to offer you. And I said, well, that sounds really, that sounds great. What is it? And it was a dealer relations position that had been newly created hmm. at PD. And it was in the marketing department. And it was to help develop the dealership program at PD. And uh, I said, well, that sounds great. You know, maybe I can move to Florida in October when I'm done my tour and uh, I can start then. And they said, well, yeah, but we, we don't really want to have the job sit open. So we want you to start it right now. <laughs> and I said, well, it's it's the middle of the summer and I'm, I'm in the middle of a tour. Like, you don't want me to call and cancel all these tour stops, do you? And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be a good thing either. So you can just start doing the job from the road. <laughs> oh, Jesus God. <laughs> and I said, well, how am I going to, how am I going to tour and then also like learn this new job oh. and start liaising with dealers while living in a trailer? Right. You know? And they said, well, you know, you'll figure it out. And, <laughs> and, and I did, you know, it was, it was about July at that point. And, and I started, uh, I, and that's when I realized how little I actually knew mm. after spending all that time. I realized how little I actually knew about this industry. And once I started talking to, to dealers and from the other side of the coin, you know, I spent two years working in a gear store and then I went and was now at a manufacturer who was, and I was in a position where I was actually the representative for, you know, the kind of the, the, the go between between the, the dealers and the manufacturer. And I was sure acting on behalf of the company. So I toured like that for the rest of the summer. And then in October, I moved down to Deland. And uh, I've been here ever since. Man. So it's about 13 years I've been been, been down in, in Deland and uh, got a house and spent about a year here. Got a, got a cute little dog, my corgi buddy. It was pretty popular. <laughs> Did you ever and, uh, think when you when you walked away from Manhattan, did you ever envision that this is how it was going to go? No, not at all. Isn't that cool? Never really thought <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be where I am now. You know, it's just you kind of take it one step at a time. and Sure. Yeah, you can have a plan for where you're going to go in life. But ultimately, you know, things change and you've got to be willing to take that change on. You oh, know? yeah. Sometimes it's. It's a little bit of a leap of faith sometimes going, this is what I want to do and this is where I want to be. And, you know, there's a bit of unknown there and it's scary sometimes, sure. you know, giving up the comfort of, of, uh, of knowing what's going on in my life to, to take a leap of faith into something into something unknown. But you sure. know, that's really how we make changes, right? Well, and you, you kind of so, also did the same thing in regard to your uh, uh 
activity in the sport itself. I mean, you ended up going hardcore into canopy piloting and swooping. Uh, was that uh, um, primarily because you were working with PD? No, you know, I was kind of drawn to canopy piloting when I was up at Cross Keys. Um, I started, you know, watching, just watching the staff there, guys like um, uh, Danny Kuhn and, mm. and Rob Stanley and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Mark Norman and those guys, and I was watching them, you know, swoop canopies, and I was like, man, that's really cool, you know, that's that looks like a lot of fun, you know, it's fast, it's and I've I made some stupid mistakes along the way. I I remember I bashed into the bank of that pond I, across keys. I actually have a, a memory of you for an off landing, and I bet I don't even get ten words into this story. Um, <laughs> uh, it was an off landing in the neighborhood that I think it was just to the south of the drop zone, and a pony brick wall. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know that was my that was on my first velocity yep i was jumping a velocity 111 and uh we were landing off it was an off landing we we're off to the north of the airport and there's a housing development there which is now that area is very built up but mm. it was only partially built up then and um i have it all on camera because i was wearing my old camera helmet it was a video a video on for whatever reason but i was landing i'm coming in I'm looking for a spot to land and there's this gigantic field off to my left. Yep. And you know, anybody who has any sense about them would have gone, that's a great, nice open landing area. That's where I'm going to put my parachute. But right. I was young and dumb and, and I said, well, that's not where I'm going. I am going to swoop the shit out of that guy's front yard right over there. <laughs> yep. So I went into the housing instead of going for the nice, big, clear open field. I went into the housing development and I was like, Oh, check that one out. It was a, it was a, a yard and the road curved. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a sweet video. This first person video is going to be awesome. I'm going to carve around this guy's front yard <laughs> around, follow the road around this guy's front yard. And then I'm going to, I'm going to stop. So I, I set up and I did my little 270 degree turn and planed out and, I'm, I'm coming across through the guy's front yard. And I start to carve around his front yard, around his house. And as I come around the corner of the house, all of a sudden I see this gigantic brick planter <laughs> in the middle of the grass. And of course, I didn't see that when I was setting up. You know? Sure. I come around the corner and there's this gigantic fucking brick planter. And it's this isn't like just some little thing. It's probably about eight feet in diameter. And it's about three feet tall. Yep. And by the time I come around the corner and I see it, I'm like, there's no juice left in the parachute. I got nothing. <laughs> so I try and move around it, but I fucking whacked right into it. Yep. And I knocked both of my, I, I hit both of my shins into it and then I flipped over it and I landed on the sidewalk in front of this guy's house. I was like, fuck that hurt, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I get up and I dust myself off and, and, uh, some, some pickup truck comes around the corner and, um, uh, and he's like, Hey, Hey, can I give you a ride back to the DZ? So I, I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of shake my head off, you know, shake it off a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. You know? And I, so I get up and I start walking to the back of the truck and my legs are hurting and I hop in, I slowly climb into the back of this guy's pickup truck and I sit down in the truck and I look down. And my socks, I was wearing a full free fly suit, an old Dekine suit that I had. Yeah. And uh, I looked down at my socks and my socks, which were white when I got on the plane, are now red. Yep. They're completely red with blood. They're soaked in blood. So I get back to the drop zone and I look down. I can't really see what happened to my legs at that point because, you know, my, my free fly suit just has a little rip in it. And I didn't really have the the balls to look and see what was inside there. But I had him drop me off and I walked into the, sh- to the store, the gear store at the time. And I walked in the back and I called, um, Kelly Evans and, uh, cause Kelly was a jumper at the drop zone. She was also an EMT. Mm. So I called her and I said, Hey, can you come over to the store? And she goes, what happened? Cause she could hear the trembling in my voice. Sure. She goes, what happened? I said, can you come over to the store? So she came over to the store 
and uh, uh, she looks and she's like, oh, geez. I was like, well, whatever you just, I was like, can you, can you get somebody, like, because she was an EMT, I said, can you call somebody to come over? But I said, don't have them put lights on. Don't have, like, I don't want a big fiasco here. I don't want the news showing up, right. putting a bunch of negative spin on the sport because there was every time, you know, it seemed like every time somebody got hurt at the DZ, there were five helicopters flying over the drop zone wanting to know what happened. You know? sure. and I didn't want, I didn't want negative publicity at the drop zone surrounded around my, my injury and my stupidity. So I said, just, you know, can you just have the ambulance pull up out back with the lights off and, and maybe some, you know, and she looks at it and she's like, Jesus. So I had split open both of my shins, hmm. you know, probably about, five or six inches on either one yep they were open wide open you know straight up and down the bone and you could see you could see my my leg bones yep you know you're like wow look at that there's you know there's the bone just hanging out there yep yep yeah I, uh, I ended up in i had to go in for surgery and, and the one had a had a splinter fracture in it so they had to clean up a bunch of bone and stuff but after that they put um a bunch of the my, my friendly comedians at the drop zone put a a small uh, tree. They planted a uh, a tree in a in a small like paper planter. They built this thing that looked like a planter, and it went by the by the boarding area, and it was like a constant reminder. And I think they wrote like Albert's Albert's planter or something yep. or Albert's tree. Yeah. And it sat there at the boarding area. And everybody would walk by it. People who didn't know me would go, what's that tree all about? Go, oh, that's our tree. And then people would tell the story about how ridiculously stupid I was that day. Yeah, yeah. I, I vaguely remember uh, um, the day that it happened because we all knew where you had landed off uh, and couldn't figure out why that big field hadn't been put to use. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I remember a bunch of us, after a few drinks, um, took a drive over to the neighborhood to try and figure out which planter you slammed into. <laughs> Because we couldn't figure out, well, how come he, oh, all right, here we go. (laughs) But it was, I mean, cross keys back then, it wasn't really even that unusual. It it just wasn't. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And somebody made a video, I think, I don't remember who it was. Somebody made a video, I think when you guys went over there, a bunch of the instructors went over there (laughs) and made a video, basically a reenactment. I remember a video of somebody running around the corner of the house going, I got this, I got this. And then they flew, they just jumped into the planner. Yep. 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 And it, it was like, you guys, go, it was, it was pretty, pretty this, silly, pretty funny. This is one of the things that is so hard to try and explain to non-extreme sports enthusiasts or non-skydivers is our fucked up sense of humor. Because we're laughing about this. And, and uh, I mean, this was, I think, on the day. You're probably in the middle of surgery as that video is being made. Um, but as soon as everybody knows you're, you're going to walk, you're going to jump again, and you're not going to die, we're like, all right, fuck, time to make fun of Al. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah i mean wow what a sport but so I definitely did some stupid things back then oh didn't we all man i mean uh yeah. i remember sitting in the pee pit across keys shaking my head on a, a saturday night that was a particularly raucous night going this was my responsible choice was to come here yeah. holy shit now so you yeah. go from you go from uh taking out the planter and ended up in the hospital to going as far as setting up swoop leagues and and competing and working hardcore with pd doing amazing stuff i mean where did that happen uh, especially the swoop league stuff yeah well i i did a little bit i mean i helped organize some of the stuff up at cross keys like i got took into organizing the swoop club up there where we went and did 10 hop and pops in the morning yeah and man sunday john morning. loved it man we would tuesday mornings we were up at the crack of dawn 6 a.m flying and that's really where i got my love for for swooping mm. and i learned a lot you know because i was making loads of hop and pops and i kind of transitioned from being of being into free fly to really getting into canopy piling sure and when i moved down here um, I was introduced to what was a lot more organized competition type stuff. Mm. Um, the FLCPA was already in existence when I got here and it was being run by Chris Hayes. Okay. Chris Hayes and Justin Thornton had started the FLCPA years before and a couple of years before they started about 2003. Um, I got here three years later and it was more of a grassroots thing. It was an opportunity and a place for the big guys in the sport to really practice, you know, Ian Bobo and Jay and Shannon and those guys sure. gave them an opportunity to practice for the big meets and also a place for people to get into the, 
discipline and learn more about it. Mm. And um, I started jumping there and started competing in them. And I was young and energetic and was learning a lot. And I was, I remember it was 2007, I think I was bugging Chris going, Hey Chris, where's the, you know, it was the fall time and the season started usually in January September came around. I was going, Chris, where's the schedule? Where's the schedule for next year? And then October, I was bugging him. Chris, where's the schedule for next year? We need to make plans. You know, we want to get going. You know, it's time to start swooping again. And uh, I asked him again in December. I was like, Chris, where's the schedule at? And he looked over at me with his, his serious look, you know. <laughs> just Chris always had a smile on his face. And he had this serious look to him. Everyone swallowed him. Like, Albert, I think you should make the schedule this year. <laughs> And I realized, like, it was one of those points in my life where I had just stepped in some shit. Right. And I, I froze for a second. He goes, yeah, you should come over to my house, and I'll give you all the stuff, and I think it's time for you to take it over. It's time for you to do it. He had basically done, you know, he was done with it. You right. Know, he was he had run his course in his life, and he was ready to pass it on. Right. And that's what he did. I went over to his house over in Port Orange, and I picked up, you know, a couple pool noodles, and he had some, uh, a, he had one Rubbermaid tub that was full of like some tent stakes and an accuracy course. And I think some, some, uh, some tape measures. And he goes, here you go. Here's everything you'll need. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I uh, took it home and I put together a schedule and I call him every once in a while. I go, how do you do this? He goes, well, no, you just figure it out, bro. You, just, you make it happen. It'll work. And it was so laissez fair. It was great. You know, and I see it. It's since grown years, you know, year after year, it's gotten bigger and bigger. Sure. Uh, now, I mean, the meets that used to be 10, 15 people are now, you know, regular meets, 50, 60 people come out to these things. They're bigger than most people's nationals. Isn't that fantastic? You know, it's great, you know? It's huge. And it's, um, you know, when I started, I had to convince people, convince drop zones that, you know, a canopy piloting meet could be run safely. Sure. And we could do this without killing ourselves to where we've gotten to now, which is, you know, at the end of the meet, they're like, when are you guys coming back next year? Right. It's a wonderful group of people. There's a great level of camaraderie amongst all the competitors and everybody's there helping everybody else. Everybody's learning. The pro guys are there helping out the beginners. The beginners are helping each other. The pro, I mean, everybody's working together to become better and safer sure. canopy pilots. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and it's uh, along the lines of, of, uh, tunnel flying. It's, it's probably the most spectator friendly sport, uh, in skydiving as well. Um, you don't really have to hold, know a whole lot about, uh, uh, the canopy piloting to see how impressive it is, which is another amazing draw to it. Yeah, it is. It's a really spectator friendly thing. And I mean, we've had some of the drop zones, like we've gone to, um, Mike Mullins, DZ up in West Tennessee every year, and he closes his drop zone down that weekend. Awesome. When we go up there, he sells all his fun jumpers. He's like, we're not jumping. Come on out. We're going to watch the swoopers. And all the fun jumpers show up with their lawn chairs, and they sit out next to the pond, and they watch. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, it's really it's really awesome. Well, and the, the gear <laughs> now has gone so far above and beyond anything I would have ever imagined. I mean, the, the, the level of swooping that's going on now is insane. Yeah, it's, it's come a long way, you know, with, with parachute development, canopies have gotten faster and faster and faster. And now this year, within the last couple of years, we've started to see people jumping with, um, like the mutant harness, things like that, sure. reduced drag, reclining seated positions in the harness. And that stuff is, that's kind of the next big change. The, um, the PD factory team is now Ian Bobo has been jumping jump in the prototype one for quite a few years now and, and this year is the first year that the full team has gotten onto them and they're they're uh they're starting to really train on them and practice with them so i'm sure at some point we'll see them sure well and i had a i had a chance to to meet had a chance to talk to uh, pablo hernandez and, and brian and and the boys from uh, europe and they were talking about mm -hmm. having to go through the training course for that but uh, uh the amazing differences that they could see just almost on a cursory level uh, um the the harness turns in the controllability and the the reduction of drag to get these insane swoops and in. i mean i can't even imagine it's uh it's got to be extremely intense yeah there was a pretty big jump in performance when we all went from jumping like velocities and comp velocities when the when the peregrine first 
came about, the Peregrine and the, the Petra from Icarus. And when those wings came came out and people started jumping them and competing with them, we saw a huge jump, huge change in performance level of the wings. And sure. It's take, it took a few years for everybody to really kind of get them under control and then uh, figure out how to really perform with them safely. And now, you know, they're, they're – they're a lot more commonplace in, in the competitions yeah. at the high levels. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, uh, it's kind of funny because I, I still jump my velocity um, and it's yeah. – I still – for me personally, mentally, a velocity is still like the newest, hottest thing. It just – it's always been such a badass canopy. Uh, and uh, I jokingly said this to the the other guys when I was talking to them. I'll routinely do my lazy little 270 swoop on my 96 – and it's at a level that a dozen years ago would have been a world record. And now nobody even bats an eye, which is so funny. You know, I mean, now it's just a, but yeah, whatever. He just did a little swoop. But 10 years ago, it would have been, holy shit, did you see what he just did? So the level has gone through the roof so quickly. The technology yeah. is, I mean, how, how much... Uh, it's got to be so much R&D companies like PD are putting into these insane wings. There is, and it's it happens over years and years and years. So a lot of the things that we will learn on developing one design, you know, like some of the stuff that was learned developing the Pulse years ago um, are things that, you know, we take a little tidbit of this or that and we'll put it into one of these newer wings. And then some of the stuff we'll learn on, on one of these newer wings, newer development, like we've still continued to build Peregrine-style prototypes. There's a an ongoing project in our engineering department that is continuing to tweak that design and mm. see if we can do some things that make uh, can make it better. You know, and with every one of those we build, sometimes they they're sometimes they're better, sometimes they're worse. Sure, um, but typically they're just different. You know, they'll fly a little bit different. It won't just necessarily be it's just leaps and bounds better than the prior one. It's just a little different. Some people may prefer it. Some of the test jumpers may prefer that new prototype. Some of them may go. Eh, doesn't really suit my flying sure. style quite as well, but um, they're all a little bit different. So everything we learn there, some of that stuff we'll we'll use in development of some of the other products that we're working on. Well, and sure, and I mean you you develop in both directions as well. I mean I know it that the sexy prototypes are all the the super fast stuff that's coming out, but uh, I mean the low pack volume reserves that was enormous when that came out. How how long have they been out now? Yeah, the optimum was 2006. I mean, I think somewhere in that neighborhood, that, right around when I started at PD. That was an amazing breakthrough because uh, you and I were were coming up in the same time when uh, you weren't a sexy badass skydiver unless you had these itty bitty little rigs. But what that meant for guys like you and me that were you know pushing 200 pounds out the door, uh, if not more, is you're jumping a, a you know a 106 or a 113 reserve when really it's not a great idea. Um, so the, the low pack volume stuff was a huge breakthrough. Yeah. The ability to, I mean, depending on which side of the coin you were on, some people looked at it and said, wow, I can get a tinier rig. <laughs> right. And a lot of other people looked at it like myself and said, wow, I can get a bigger reserve that's, and keep the same container. Yeah. That's how I thought about it for sure. I mean, uh, when I switched to the low pack volume, it was to get intentionally to get off the teeny little reserve because there's just no room for error. Yeah. The year they came out, I probably spent, I mean, I think I probably put 100, 100 to 150 jumps on optimum reserves Wow. Um, myself, the ones that were set up as mains, because we actually, that summer touring, I spent probably half the time with one of the, uh, the demo reserves in my main tray. Oh, wow. Jumping it, just learning, learning how they flew. And I mean, I really got to enjoy that canopy and what it could do. You know, it wasn't. I mean, as much as the PD Reserve is an awesome wing, it's not quite as much. It's not quite as exciting to fly as an Optimum. The Optimum is a really, it's a much, much more efficient, much more fun wing to fly, much more intuitive to fly. It doesn't feel like the old square boxy seven cell. Sure. You know, uh, it's it's a much more modern design. Flies way better and a lot more intuitive to fly. So very cool. Somebody who hasn't spent any time on a reserve, and then they 
they have to go from jumping their saber two to, to jumping an optimum. It's not going to seem like as much of a shock to try and figure out how to just steer this thing to a landing area. Sure, which is important. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Now, uh, it is. I know outside of just product development, PD also puts a whole lot into training as well. And you guys started uh, um, kind of the, the gold standard training system. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, which would for Which for canopy for think? canopy training for flying like flight one type of stuff uh, gotcha well the um a lot of the original stuff that started with that was way back even before i got here um was the guys at uh freedom of flight um when uh some of the folks who worked in the r&d department uh at pd started developing a lot of that stuff mm. and then uh eventually that um, went on to uh, to become Flight One and Ian and the guys from the the PD Factory team, Ian and Shannon and and uh, and Jay and them um, basically had a they were winning competitions and they were doing all the crazy stuff they were doing as PD Factory team members and then they got into doing more training, sure, more coaching. Um, and uh, they developed that into more of a standardized curriculum. So the foundations of that stuff came through PD, and and then they the team took it and developed it a bit and developed it further. And now they've gone on to do they do sport training and they do military training and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Well, and I mean the 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 training itself obviously is invaluable. That's kind of one of the things that uh, for the younger jumpers, uh, as guys like you and I were coming up. Uh, there wasn't anybody to really teach us, you know, um, we weren't being given the, the, the knowledge unless you were lucky enough to have a kick-ass mentor with you. And a lot of people didn't. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a little bit, I mean, when I started, there was, I guess I got some canopy coaching along the way. Um, but it wasn't quite as structured as stuff as what's, what's available to people now. And I think that's helped our sport. Sure. You know, if you look at the, the higher performance wings, you know, some of the wings that people are now considering to be beginner intermediate style wings are, are stuff that before was considered an expert wing. Oh God. Yes. I uh, mean, shit. When I, uh, when I started, I started on a, I think I, my first ever jump on my own canopy was a, a PD 210. Uh, and I yeah. thought I was a badass when I was a 190. You know, and yeah, that was my first wing too, PD two ten. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, and it did the trick for sure, and it was it was a good way to learn. But yeah, I mean, God, when you stepped up to the the oh my, he's on a saber, what a badass, you know. And now th- there's student programs that start out with wings like that. Yep, yeah, the guys up at Scott F Chicago, they're they're big on the sab- and and uh, and and Spaceland as well. They're big on the saber two, um, student straight into from student and and, and on. Um, so, and that, that wing, while a lot of people view it as a beginner style wing, I mean, we view it more as an intermediate, you know, it's not really a beginner wing and a light loading. It's reasonable. Sure. But, um, if you get into, I mean, guys jump in those at slightly higher wing loadings and they perform, you get down into the smaller sizes. Look at, I mean, guys like Earl David, uh, who he can, he'll rival people with a velocity and he jumps a. He jumps to Sabre 2 120 right. and he's been jumping it for years. And he can outswoop a lot of people who jump velocities. Well, so. It just goes to show that it all boils down to um, a talented pilot should be able to make the wing he's on work really, really well for him. And I think that's something a lot of people skip, which is why the, the training aspect of stuff is so important um, and why it seems to get passed up so much. But especially when you're starting to get to the level where people are you know, competing, I mean – the, the shit that you guys are doing on these wings nowadays and, and swooping and competition stuff is just out of control. So if you're not trained properly, you're in deep shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's all different folks that are out at the meets and it's funny to see the dynamic. It's its own little subculture within skydiving. Um, and you've got the older, wiser guys that are there, you know, who, who maybe seem like they've got a, they've got a bit more knowledge in their, in their hat and they know what they're doing and they know what works and they know what, what doesn't work, but they're still aggressive flyers. Um, you know, guys like 
Ian Bobo is a really good example of that. You know, like he flies hard, he pushes, he pushes it, but he doesn't look like he's out of control by any means. Sure. You know? And when he does skip off the water, it's, it's controlled. Sure. You know? Um, and then you've got the younger guys who charge really hard and they're going big and they, you know, every once in a while they, they nail the water really hard and it's a good thing there's a pond there because if it wasn't there, they'd probably be hurt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's no Everybody doubt. He learns at their own pace and, there is no doubt about that. Well, speaking of uh, of learning at your own pace uh, and uh, being an old fucker in the sport, I got somebody that actually just stepped into the studio right now that you know uh, pretty well. Uh, what's going on, buddy? Uh, you... <laughs> hey, what's up, as a junior, sure is. What's up, pal? Not a whole lot. How's everything going? It's going good, man. Sitting, shooting the shit, talking old times, cross keys days, and how he's all respectable in PD now. No, I mean he's come a long way. I think I think uh, all three of us have. I mean, I remember Albert when you first started swooping, and it's been a it's been a long long time. And then running all those FLCPA meets for so long, man, it's definitely uh, definitely made a mark on the on the uh, industry. No doubt. Yeah, me and, me and Junior used to do meets uh, back when he, back when you were in Georgia. We used to spend we used to come out to the FLCPA meets and compete. And, was always fun because you never came out to all of them. You just show up like here or there, and and it was crazy because everybody, you know, we'd be doing all season, and then we'd show up at the meet at the farm, and uh, Junior Junior would come out and go, "Well, I'm going to compete at this one," and he'd show up, and then he'd like beat everybody. And go, <laughs> all the new all the new kids who just who have been to all these meets, they go, "Well, who's this guy? How did he just beat all of us?" Like I've been coming to all all season. I've been coming to these meets, and now Junior shows up and like whoops everybody's ass. Little fucker. <laughs> it's that low center yeah, of gravity yeah. he's got. He's yeah. like Danny Coon. It's 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 something DK. about these short little fuckers that are just kind of they're just roundish in just the right place, and they haul ass on their canopy. <laughs> Well, you know, Everybody's gotta, got their own style. Yeah, we got to keep it on their toes. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Just oh man. Well, so so you're long time established with PD. You've been you've been working strong with them for a really long time. Obviously, now long time in the sport. What uh, what comes next? I don't know. I mean, I've been I've been here at PD for about 13 years, and um, I took over as the marketing manager about two years ago. So. Um, it's it's a really cool place and it's constantly evolving it's constantly developing it's constantly changing so i mean i don't really necessarily see myself moving like you know doing what i did 13 14 years ago and just going oh i think i'm going to move to oregon now you know right no more uh, i think i've kind of kind of settled and set some roots here for sure well and you've got uh, kids got now a, too yeah i've got two kids i've got a 1 year old and a 2 year old so they're pretty awesome boys or girls uh, uh, one, a girl, my girl will be, uh, Annalise will be three in May and Joseph will be two in September. Okay. So one of each. All right. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. One of each. And they're about 15 months apart. So they're pretty cool. So they're kind of like my driving force in my personal life now. Are they going to be, watch them they going to be drop evolve. zone kids? I mean, they already are. They already are. <laughs> we go to the DZ, like, um, Emily works. She runs the packing mat here at Skydive Delan, mm. and uh, she packs on the weekends. And sometimes we'll we've got a bike with a big basket on the front, and I throw the kids in there. We go out to ride the bike out to the DZ, stop by the local park, and we go out there. And Annalise has already got her. She's already got packing mat etiquette. Like she knows how to step over lines. It's <laughs> awesome. Like, so we're we started. We're training her young. You know, that's uh, we were out there last weekend, and she was um. Uh, we go, hey, can you help mommy take this rig? And we handed her a rig by the leg straps. We go, okay, stretch this one out. And she grabs it by the leg straps and pulls it back. And so we're teaching her how to. Hopefully, we can have her packing my my Valkyrie within a few years. <laughs> Isn't that the goal of any parent in skydiving? Is to is to actually just create packers for themselves? <laughs> yeah, for, they go from packing mat or packing weights to packers. I mean, I mean, don't don't. Don't like you know overlook the fact of being a father. It's you want somebody that can pack for you. Let's be honest. For sure, for sure. It, you know, I I always had the running joke with my daughter. The first time uh, um, she ever came to a drop zone, it was during that crazy time in Cross Keys, and she was only seven at the time. 
And uh, in the years following, people had asked me, you know, uh, would I want her to skydive? And she's since made a couple of jumps. And I've said it on the podcast before. Uh, people would ask, do you want her to, to skydive? And I said, sure, she can skydive as long as she doesn't have to go to a fucking drop zone to do it. <laughs> now, it'd, <laughs> it'd be a different story with a son. So you got to kind of, that's going to be interesting as they get older, <laughs> how you're going to balance that one daughter and one son both being raised on the drop zone. Well, they've, they've, I mean, they've grown up, everybody there knows them. They've kind of got free run of the DZ and she's already said, like, she looks up and goes, look, skydivers, look, parachutes, and <laughs> look, planes. And Joey's one points, he goes, plane, plane. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're known there. They've, they've, she's already said, I want to skydive. Oh, already. She's only three and she's already, already into it. Oh, like, man. Well, we're going to hold off on that. We're going to hold off on that for a little bit. You know, we're not going to stick you in the tunnel yet either. Cause that'll get really expensive for us. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it changes the whole soccer mom, soccer dad dynamic drastically when you're talking about tunnel time. Yeah. Tunnel mom and tunnel dad. That's where shit gets real expensive. Oh man, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, um, where do people go to find out not only about the the old but the new stuff that PD's putting out? Uh, where do they go to find out about canopy training? Where do they go to find out about the new harness, um, the the mutant, I believe it's called. Yep. Um, wh- yeah. The, where are they going to go to check all this stuff out? The mutant is uh, is a product of uh, UPT okay. United Parachute Technology, so they've got info on their website about that. If you want to learn more about that, cool. Um, if you want to follow along on what the PD factory team is doing, um, you can check out their website. They're also pretty darn active on Facebook. If you want to see like where they're training and what events they're going to and kind of what they're up to they they just did a big camp and, uh, they've posted some photos and videos and stuff from that and they'll continue to do that. So they're always doing cool stuff. So that's a, a great way to keep up with them. And on the PD side, we've got we've we've stayed pretty active on social media over the last few years on on showing some people what we're what we're doing a little bit on the R&D side we don't necessarily show everything mm. but uh, a little bit here and there uh, we showed off some of the prototypes at PIA this past year but um, a little bit here and there we we leak out and let people see what we're doing obviously everybody wants to know what's going on sure. what's happening with you and it's constantly changing i mean that's one of the great things about like early in my life i was always i was going, you know, and went into skydiving. I moved to Manhattan. I, I moved and, and changed where I was in order to get something that was new and exciting. And here it seems like every day is a new and exciting thing. Isn't that cool? Um, I wake up every morning and like, I remember when I was in New York, I like, I had to drag myself out of bed. Um, and I still have to drag myself out of bed because like my daughter woke up last night at four in the morning Oof. because she had to go to the bathroom and she came into our room so I'm waking my, I'm, I'm dreading getting up in the morning for a different, I'm having a tough time getting up for a, di- a totally different reason. But now, like, I want to get up and go to work. Sure. Like, I get to come to work. I have my office. I, I work with a great team here. The people, the people in the marketing department are awesome. The people in the engineering department are great. And I get to talk to skydivers all day long about parachutes. Yeah. So. It doesn't suck. And people say, well, don't you get tired of, don't you get tired of talking to people about canopies? You know, once you get tired of answering the same questions all the time, I said, well, a lot of the time it's different questions, but you know, when dealing with, with jumpers who just want to learn about our products, they're excited. They want to know about skydiving. They want to know about canopy flight. And I'm excited to help share whatever knowledge I have in that area. Sure. Um, share whatever knowledge I have and then maybe, and, and then learn stuff from other people as well. And the day I get tired of doing that, then that's the day I need to I need to find a different job and I need to start doing something else. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well I'm right there with you. I mean, hell I started this podcast basically as an excuse to talk to all the cool kids and and uh, reminisce about the good old days and hear about what's coming. You know, <laughs> I mean for, it's literally for no other reason than I want to sit around and talk about the same thing I still do for a living to this day. So I'd say that says something huge about uh, not just the sport but the community and the people that are involved in it, which makes it just the most badass thing in the world. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, mean, it's, I, I cannot thank you enough for, for taking the time to sit down and, and shoot the shit with me. I'm going to want to check back in yeah. uh, here and there and find out more about the, the Florida Swoop League and this little guy sitting next to me. And <laughs> and definitely get in a little bit deeper to our cross keys days. I know we got to talk about uh, the planter, but there's a few more stories out there to be had. Maybe we'll have a, yeah, for sure. a, a cross keys uh, podcast reunion at some point. 
There's enough of you yeah, guys you around. Yeah, get everybody to get back together. Yep, yep. Hey, again, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to sit down and chat with me, and and uh, I'm going to make sure everybody's aimed towards to the PD team, towards PD uh, itself, and, and even send them over to UPD to check out the new harness and stuff. Al, any, awesome, Dean. any last Good words? Good chatting with you, too. Good chatting with you, too, man. It's always fun to catch up, and uh, appreciate you having me on the on the podcast to chat with you for a bit, and, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. It's a small world, so I'm sure we'll it, it is, run into each other it, well, again it's, soon. It's a small world and an even smaller sport, and I guarantee our paths cross again. Al, uh, once again, thank you so much. Awesome, man. Talk to you later. All right, Blue Skies. All right, this has been another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with me, the fucking pilot, brought to you proudly in association with Blue Skies Magazine. Head on over to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can get yourself some really cool swag like leggings and T-shirts and previously published uh, issues, and you can also submit your own really cool stories. If I can write for the magazine, so can you, so drop a line to Laura and Cola and let them know what you've been up to. As for me, uh, you can catch my stuff at thefuckingpilot.net. There you're going to have links not only to all my guests, but you're going to be able to get your hands on both the books that I've published. Uh, the Blue Skies Magazine Fucking Pilot book was the first one out, and the second one out now is The Accidental Stripper. Uh, you can catch both of those in digital and print format via Amazon, but links straight to them are on my website. You can also catch me on Facebook at the Effin Pilot, E-F-F-I-N Pilot, and Instagram at the princess pilot uh, both of those will get you links not only to my stuff but to my guest as well as always it's been a blast having you and we will see you next time around on lunatic fringe into the void